Hi, everyone. You're listening to episode 25 of the Foxy Hope Podcast. This is Lisa, and thank you so much for listening. I'm so excited that we have Dr. Mark Galili on the Floxy Hope Podcast today. I just want to note before we start uh, this interview that this is not medical advice. Dr. Galili is a board-certified physician, except this podcast should be interpreted as um, entertainment and um any advice, any actions that you take regarding your health, uh, you should consult with your actual physician first. So um, just want to throw that out there. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the interview. Sure. You're listening to the Floxy Hope Podcast. My name is Lisa Bloomquist Palmer. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so excited for our guest today. We've got Dr. Mark Galili. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Galili. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. So can you tell our audience a little bit about who you are and what your background is? Absolutely. Uh, My name is Dr. Mark Galili. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician. I practice in Los Angeles, California. I completed my residency training at University Medical Center in Las Vegas, Nevada, a level one trauma center. And I currently now have a strong background in functional and alternative medicine. Wonderful. And did you start that background in functional and alternative medicine before or after you got floxed? Well, unfortunately, in the uh, traditional medical community, um, there's completely no training on functional, nutritional, or alternative medicine. So, uh, you know, the majority of doctors are, you know, completely unaware that alternative treatments actually exist. Right. Right. So, um, so let's back up and talk about your fluoroquinolone journey. So, um, you know, one of the uh, things that gives you a really unique perspective is that you've been through this. And, you know, certainly I wouldn't wish fluoroquinolone toxicity on anyone, but, um, and, and certainly I'm so sorry that you've gone through it, but um, it's given you a unique perspective, having the perspective of a, um, trained physician, um, and also someone who's been through fluoroquinolone toxicity. So, um, would really love to tell the audience as much as we can about your background. So, uh, go ahead. What's your fluoroquinolone story? Well, thank you so much for prefacing it that way, uh, Lisa. Well, coming from my end, being a, you know, being an internal medicine physician going through this, I do want to start by letting everyone know who is listening This is very real. And fluoroquinolone toxicity, in my opinion, is the largest epidemic affecting health in the United States um, since thalidomide in the 1960s, except this is on a global level and is affecting millions of more individuals. My fluoroquinolone story began a little over, I met about almost 13 and a half months, almost 14 months ago where I had taken a short course of ciprofloxacin cipro for a gut infection. And less than within three days of taking the antibiotic, um, I would always test my muscle strength because I knew about side effects. Um, However, the FDA paints this picture where, oh, you know, one in 100,000 people will have a side effect where they get their Achilles to rupture, but don't worry, those usually happens in people over the age of 65. So in the medical community as a doctor, you don't think of this 
you, you would never think that an FDA-approved drug is can cause complete disability and near-death experience after a few pills. You know, as a medical doctor, you think, okay, patient will have side effects. Oh, they'll get better in a week. And this would be the consensus between all of my colleagues. Um, so, you know, when all of your colleagues are thinking a certain way, you, you know, you tend to believe them. Um, it was about three days after, sorry, I was two days into my treatment where I had taken Cipro and I was feeling, you know, I was fine. And that day I decided to go do a little oh, mini run. And I jogged very, you know, gently because I knew you shouldn't be exercising hard taking Cipro. Within, I did about a half a mile as a warm up, and I got off the treadmill. My thighs felt like I got shot with an AK-47 50 times. I collapsed on the floor. I was grasping for life. It was the most excruciating pain I have ever felt in my life. I do not wish that upon anyone. If you could have shot me dead at that moment, I would have chosen to be shot dead. That is how excruciating the pain was. So I laid there on the ground for a few hours. I couldn't get up. I had to call the hospital I was working at and let them know I wouldn't be able to come into work today. And I was finally able to stand up after about four hours. I slowly crawled all the way to my car and that was the first day of the complete, you know, completely revolutionizing my life and changing the way, you know, I think about the, you know, medical community and how to administer treatment to my patients forever. So really, that's harrowing. And I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And yeah, the, the pain and the really feeling like a bomb has gone off in your body is, it's, that's awful. But, you know, um, I'm glad that it has had this silver lining of reforming how you thought, but can you just describe a bit more about like what happened after that? Like, um, did you progressively have more and more symptoms? Um, yes. tell me more. Yeah. So Lisa, absolutely. That was just the beginning. Um, after the, after those symptoms, my body began to completely deteriorate through pretty much every organ. Um, I was completely bed bound. There was no way for me to really, I reached a point where I couldn't stand up, um, just completely bed bound. I had to crawl out of the bed and not get help. I was unable to shower, unable to even bathe myself. Um, I had to physically crawl on the floor to urinate in a urinal and dump it in the toilet. This is what my life had become. And I slowly began having severe palpitations. My heart rate would shoot up to 140, 150 for absolutely no reason. Um, I had my, my nerves and my reflexes, which is something that I test for in acute fluoroquinolone toxicity in my own practice. Any patient who takes Cipro or Levaquin um, that has any type of reaction to it, they will have very extremely hypersensitive reflexes. So just touching my patellar tendon uh, where the reflex is, my leg would fly in the air. It was a four out of four reflex. And that's a sign of nervous system, like severe nervous system damage. And I had that for a while. The onslaught led to complete muscle wasting and atrophy of my legs. Uh, if you took a look at my calves, which you know I have videos of, 
they became completely flaccid. It was as if you were touching jello. And, you know, I'm a you know, young male in my 30s who's very athletic. Completely seeing your just body deteriorate and waste away after taking a very commonly prescribed antibiotic really makes you wonder how many other people were affected. So I began going on forums. I began doing my research online. And I saw this was happening to hundreds of thousands of people, not only in the United States, but across the world. And that number has significantly grown, you know, after going back to work and starting my own functional medicine practice, where patients are sending me messages all throughout the world. Um, there are thousands and thousands upon people that, you know, really need help from this. But back to my story. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to say, um, you know, kind of back, back to your story that um, would love to just continue with that before we kind of talk, talk about it more generally. Absolutely. Um, so, so what did you do? Like, what was your reaction? Obviously, you knew right away what was going on. There was no guess period for you, correct? Yes. At initially, I said, wow, am I, am I the one in 100,000 people the FDA claims is affected by this drug? I said, that's not possible. I've been completely healthy my whole life with no medical issues. There's no reason for this to have happened to a you know, young 31-year-old male when you, know, you see the drug being prescribed to females for a seven-day treat, seven treatment for UTIs very commonly, approximately 20 million prescriptions annually are written for fluoroquinolones. So you think, you know, what, what's the chance something bad is going to happen to me, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think anyone would think that way. I know I certainly thought that way. And, you know, the way that you described your, the, do- your colleagues, your doctors um, thinking about things uh, is how I thought about things beforehand. That just, you know, um, side effects are short-lived and it's bound to be, and it's rare, and these are commonly prescribed drugs like how how bad could it possibly be I mean I think that most people think that way and um, you know I it's certainly not surprising that your colleagues thought that way so I'm assuming that you went to see um, a doctor colleague or uh, your or your physician to try and get some help through this is that assumption correct you know I did I went to a physician however I knew after speaking so I spoke to At the end of it, I spoke to thousands of patients, over 3,000 people personally. I took the time. Every day I was on the phone with different Floxies, getting information, gathering data, what helped them, what to do. I did so much research in this field, read every single study on PubMed that's available to physicians, read all the medical literature, um, basically read there's so much data out there on how the fluoroquinolones cause their damage. then, Then I began doing my doctor work and figuring out a way to reverse the condition and to replenish the mitochondria that's damaged to live a normal life again. Great. So what did you start to do? How did you repair your body? So in the beginning, I, uh, you know, I, I went to functional medicine doctors and I spoke to thousands of patients that this had occurred to. Um, I kind of came up with my own treatment plan on different modalities of treatment, different type of IV and alternative um, nutrition. I took a lot of supplements. I'll get into more detail. I first became vegan, where I realized that a lot of the poultry and beef in America is injected with steroids and antibiotics. And I knew if I'm ever exposed to a steroid or antibiotic, that could potentially be the end of me. 
Um, so I completely avoided that. And I avoided all gluten. I avoided soy. I avoided really anything that can cause any inflammation in the body. Wow. That's a pretty strict diet. Have you stuck with that? I, I, I've stuck to it and I will stick to it, you know, lifelong. Wow. Yeah. I mean like these, it's, it's a serious illness and it, it demands serious changes to your, to your life. Um, that's, that's a serious diet though. Have you lost a lot of weight? You know, I've, uh, I lost a lot of weight from the muscle atrophy, yeah. but yeah. I've gained it all back. I'm back to my normal weight. And I can honestly say that right now I feel better than I did even before I was floxed. And it's just a whole lifestyle change. And I, this was probably in hindsight, I would never want to go through it again. I don't wish it upon anyone, but it was probably one of the best things to ever happen to me because now for the rest of my life, I could live a very healthy life. I could live a prolonged life, avoiding all type of toxins, anything synthetic and man-made. And I know my body, you know, my body will react really well to that. And it's just a blessing in disguise to be able to share all the knowledge that I've gained with, you know, other patients and other people in the community. So let's back up and talk a little bit more about your healing journey. So yep. you, you were consulting with these functional medicine doctors and, and you were going through supplements and you were changing your diet. Um, can you describe a little bit more about the supplements and the IVs and anything else that you did to help you recover? Yes. So in terms of the supplements, I focused mainly on rebuilding the mito. First was rebuilding the mitochondria. Yeah. Yeah. So, and every patient, FYI, everyone who goes through fluoroquinone toxicity is unique. Some patients may have neurological symptoms, some have musculoskeletal, some have both. It can really range in terms of the severity of the symptoms and where they're located. But what I focused on first, before I got into supplements, I tested my genetics. And I feel that the genetics are a very important vital role before starting supplements. I'll give you examples. When I tested my genetics, I noticed I had an MTFHR um, gene mutation. And this is very common among phloxies because this gene is very important in the detoxification pathway. Right. And the Cipro or Leviquin that the patient that people are using or consuming can lead to toxic levels if you do have MTFHR gene mutations as a body's kind of poor detoxifier. So I had to first correct that with the proper supplements or methylfolate and, you know, methyl donors like trimethylglycine. So first you got to kickstart the detox pathways, which is very important. And getting on the right dose should always be, you know, monitored by a, um, by, by your physician. So I realized there's other genetic factors involved, um, such as the glutathione pathway, the GST there's other pathways such as BHMT and the superoxide dismutase. So there are multiple other genes involved in that can, in my opinion, increase the likelihood of a reaction to fluoroquinolones. And that's very important for a patient to know. Now, with that being said, after looking at the whole genetic profile and you know, trying to correct any type of deficiencies through supplements and knowing what to avoid, I began my journey with first knowing that the Cipro and Leviquin causes mitochondrial damage. And we know that because it causes perioxynitrite formation, toxic aldehyde formation, 
and free radicals. These in combination will basically lead to mitochondrial toxicity. So I supported my mitochondria. And, you know, I found special products through, you know, being in the medical field, I was able to get my hands on things that even the general public wouldn't be able to know or, you know, find out. You know, I was able to get the right types of, you know, CoQ10, curcumin, carnitine, glutathione, the right type of alpha lipoic acid that can get into the mitochondria. You know, resver- go ahead. Do you do you have any like brand recommendations on those, or are they like um, or or are they pharmaceutical strength or something that you that people can only get through their physician, or um, how how can we guide people in in emulating some of this? Yeah, so that's a great question. A lot of the supplements you can find them on Amazon, but a few of them are you know, for example, in my own office, I have a few private labels with um, a few of the supplements, which I feel are, you know, very high quality and work a lot better than anything you could just buy online on Amazon. They're specially formulated by compounding pharmacies that um, really, really make a big difference. But in general, the supplement brands I recommend if patients are looking on the internet or Amazon are going to be pure encapsulations or thorn. The reason I like those two brands is they don't use fillers, no magnesium stearate. There's no soy lecithin in those. So I really trust them as reputable brands. Great. Awesome. Yeah, because, I mean, I know that that, um, people in the Los Angeles area or people who can travel to the Los Angeles area um, should – you know, have a, con- a consultation with you, but, uh, but, you know, people around the world are going to be listening to this and want to be giving them as much guidance as we possibly can. Um, so, so continue on, like, what else did you do? You know, I, I want to preface it by saying, you know, wh- what I'm giving out is not medical advice at all. And, and I just want to make sure that people listening to this know that because what works for one person may not work for another and certain patients might have reactions to a few of the supplements given their genetic makeup and profile. Um, for example, if you have sulfuration issues, you might react to glutathione and it might make a patient feel worse, right? So these are all very important things that need to be looked at by a trained medical professional prior to even starting supplements. Right. And thank you very much for noting that. You know, most of the people who I've had on the podcast have been um, fellow Floxies. And obviously, you're someone who has been affected by fluoroquinolones as well. But when I'm just talking to, you know, a, a fellow Floxy patient, um, it's obvious that we're not giving any sort of medical advice. We're just telling our personal story. Except for you, since you are a physician, the, the lines, people may interpret things as like the, as the lines being blurred. So I appreciate yeah. you really pointing that out and, and I'll just reiterate, um, you know, talk to your doctor, you know, um, make sure that you, that you consult with, with, um, a physician before you try any of these things. Absolutely. So, so with that said, with our little disclaimer said, um, continue on. What's, uh, what else helped you, Mark, uh, Dr. Absolutely. Galili? I think the, you know, magnesium is very important. And one of the links missing is the, do- the majority of doctors will test magnesium levels through the blood. And that's incorrect. It needs to be a red blood cell magnesium. That's a more accurate reflection of the body's magnesium. And as we know, Cipro and Levaquin or Avalox, fluoroquinolones in general, they, chelate mag- they basically 
suck the magnesium out of the tendon and muscle cells. So without that magnesium, that mitochondria begins to just deteriorate. And it's very important and vital to get magnesium immediately back into those cells because um, the positive ions also help remove the fluoroquinolone from the cells. So that's probably, if I had to pick one thing that's the most important, it's getting the right type of magnesium in the body. And a lot of patients will take magnesium oxide. Well, magnesium oxide isn't really well absorbed, and it's not going to increase the red blood cell magnesium levels by much. So I think that's very important for patients to know, to speak to a qualified doctor, and not just go and say, oh, well, I need magnesium, and take the wrong type. And what, I'm sure, I'm sure you're aware of that. Types? Yeah, what, what about the other types? Yeah, so I recommend angstrom. Uh, angstrom's a good type, and uh, malate. These really get into the muscles and really help with the um, recovery. So those would be my top two that I'd recommend. But dosing, it depends. And, you know, if a patient has an elevated creatinine with, you know, renal damage, you don't want, you need to really be careful about how much magnesium you take because then you can, you know, get toxic levels. So this is why, you know, I recommend getting the proper lab testing done through your doctor before you start any of these supplements. Great. Okay. So what, what next? Yeah. So, you know, vitamin C is also very important and vital uh, in terms of collagen matrix production, as I feel the fluoroquinolones really damage the collagen um, by leading to toxicity of the mitochondria. So replenishing the vitamin C is very key um, in terms of management and treatment. Um, you, you also want to make sure you're taking, you know, all the right types of B vitamins um, you know, vitamin K, all the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K. Um, you know, I, I recommend the vitamin D levels, you know, be in the higher normal range um, as that also helps boost the immune system and is really required for overall body health. So some patients will, you know, they have a level of 30. You know, for me, if you're fluoroquinolone toxicity patient, you know, I feel the level should be higher, at least 60 to 80. So that's another key factor, and it's getting it there through potentially prescription medication um, to really optimize your vitamin D levels. Um, magnesium spray also to affected areas is also very important. Um, and that's more of the connective tissue and muscle support. Um, getting these, you know, getting different uh, nutrients and minerals through IVs can really also help uh, especially with uh, amino acids and you know IV magnesium, uh, can really make a quick difference in patients. So, where were you in the process when you started doing IVs? Did you did you do IVs right from the very get go, or or did you start with pills and then switch to IVs? How how did that go for you? So, I started with pills because I just didn't know where to go or you know what to do in the beginning, and I was doing all my research. And, you know, I was worried, I was concerned because so many phloxies have reactions to so many things that it really takes, you really have to sit and do your research and speak to hundreds of people that have had this happen to really get to the bottom of what is going to make you worse and what is going to make you better. Um, you know, when a drug affects people that's FDA approved, you're, it's very rare to see any published studies on it. I mean, let's be honest, Lisa. Right. Um, you're not going to see a study saying, you know, let, let's say the drug, for example, killed a 
10 million people, right? You're never going to see one study saying a drug caused a reaction in a pig. It's just not going to happen. Not in our lifetime. And and it certainly has to be like much more clear cut, you know, like with fluoroquinolones, like causing kind of this multi-symptom chronic illness, you know, it's really that, that masquerades is all sorts of different things. You know, it looks a lot like fibromyalgia. It looks a lot like chronic fatigue syndrome. It looks a lot like lupus. It looks a lot like, um, even, uh, rhabdo, you know, it looks like all sorts of different things. It's a, it's a mimicker. And so when it looks like all these different things, even if it is causing, you know, the deaths of, of tens of thousands of people and the maiming of millions of people, um, it's, it's disguised a bit, which yes, uh, and, makes things hard. And, and, and what makes it very difficult to diagnose is, you know, a lot, majority of patients do not have the symptoms while taking the medication. Um, many patients actually, it takes 30 to 60 days even for them to start developing the symptoms. And my theory behind that is, you know, when your body loses about 70% of your mitochondria, that's when you start to develop symptoms. So imagine half your mitochondria is destroyed and you're, you know, sitting there running around. You don't, you don't feel it yet. But that's why I think where multiple fluoroquinolone exposures in patients, where it's not the first time you take the drug, it might be the second or third, you reach a threshold of destroying a certain percent of your mitochondria, which I feel is around 60 to 70 percent, then the bomb goes off in the body and you start feeling it. Right. Right. And it could be triggered by something else too. Like other toxins destroy mitochondria as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it's really difficult for people to connect it to the fluoroquinolones, you know, maybe the fluoroquinolones got them down to like 60%, um, uh, got rid of 60% of their mitochondrial function. And then they took an NSAID or something like that. And that just threw them over the edge. You know, I think that that's really what happened with me. I had a reaction that was delayed by about two weeks, two weeks after I finished taking the Cipro and it was triggered once I started taking ibuprofen. Yeah, absolutely. And and that should be a complete contraindication. Um, Ibuprofen should not be used in general. And there's several studies out actually showing that ibuprofen actually increases the risk of a myocardial infarction significantly. This was just on PubMed. And there's another study showing that um, pregnant women who take ibuprofen may deplete their, if they have a girl, may deplete their child's eggs. So this could be another cause of infertility in people if mothers were taking ibuprofen at all during pregnancy. So I've read a lot of studies and reports about muscle damage and um, especially gut damage in, you know, increasing ulcers. And, you know, I, I feel that's one of the reasons leaky gut is on the rise and gluten allergies, for example, are on the rise is the heavy use of ibuprofen leading to that gut damage and having gluten cross the, um, the intestinal barrier leading to an immune reaction. So did you feel like in your case you were experiencing like a damaged gut and increased sensitivities to uh, multiple foods and um, a lot of people just can't even take supplements because it upsets their stomach so much? Like the, the, that type yeah. of reaction, was that, your, was that the case with you? Absolutely, yes. That was one of the many symptoms I had. And kind of going back to my symptoms, I'll, I'll just backtrack a little bit um, just to be more clear so patients know what I went through. I suffered from, I was having seizures and I never had a seizure in my life. So 
you know, my, my heart goes out to all people who have seizures. It's, it's a pretty horrible experience and I would never wish it upon anyone. And I wish to never go through that again, but I was having seizures, uh, abdominal pain, complete, just muscle pain. I, you know, I had reached a point. I couldn't pump a bottle of soap to pump the soap out because my arms hurt were in excruciating pain. Um, I had blurry vision. Uh, again, I couldn't stand up. My Achilles felt like it was going to just completely rupture at all times. I had special boots to wear to prevent them from rupturing. And it was just an overall nightmare. It's it, it just unreal, um, unreal experience to go through. Yeah. Did you get your kidneys tested? Like, do you know if you were experiencing rhabdo, how do you pronounce it? Rhabdomyelosis? Yeah. So I, I immediately, I did labs within about a week of getting flocks um, because I read so much information about it and I got a lot of literature and, um, you know, I had access to PhDs and people doing research in this field. So I tested my CPK, which is uh, creatine phosphokinase, uh, which would be elevated in rhabdo. However, mine was completely normal. Um, therefore, I knew I was not going through rhabdomyolysis. My well, that's kidney good. function was normal. Yes. Good. Yeah, having your but, kidneys shut down is a bad thing for sure. Yeah. The patients who combine uh, fluoroquinolones with the statin medications, the cholesterol medications, they are very likely prone. They're highly likely prone to getting rhabdomyolysis because that combination is what usually tips them over. Right, 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 right. Goodness, we're echoing now. Sorry about that, folks. Um, so kind of what, what next? Where, where, where do you want to go next with the story? Oh. Like, let's talk a bit about um, kind of your timeline and your recovery journey. So you started doing the, the, the supplements and the IVs. Like, did you find someone who could really help you through this or were you like largely on your own? You know, I did, I did find a practitioner uh, who was able to, who really understood, um, you know, the damage that was done to me. But there, is, there really is no doctor that says, hey, this is fluoroquinolone toxicity. I know exactly what it is. I know exactly what it causes. And this is what you need to do to, do to reverse it. It's just mostly a trial and error type of thing. Right. Right. Which makes it so important and so valuable that you are um, opening up your practice to, to people who are suffering from fluoroquinolone toxicity because you really... Um, it's, it's not so much of a trial and error for you. Like you, you understand much more about what you're looking at and looking for. And frankly, like you just have the empathy of having, of having gone through it. Absolutely. So, yeah. And you're scared to, I mean, I was scared to death. Yeah. You know, patients have this, they're scared to death. I mean, I was at a point where I had, you know, I paid for my cemetery. It's paid for. I have a spot. Because I felt with having those seizures and dealing what I was dealing with and seeing how many people have, you know, lost their lives to this drug, I felt, wow, I, I don't know how I'm going to get better. At, at one point, I did lose hope. And a lot of patients lose hope. And I, you know, I, I just really want to inspire you guys and let you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You just need to stick through it treat your body the right way, give your body the right nutrients it needs to help heal and recover. And your life will be so much better afterwards. Uh, it's, it's just unbelievable. 
and you value and appreciate everything you have in your life, the people in your life, you know, little things that will never upset you again. You're just grateful to be alive. And I, I mean, I told myself if I'm able to walk, I will be the happiest person in the world. I'm not only walking, I'm doing backflips. I'm back to playing basketball. I'm back to doing everything I ever wanted to do in less than one year of being completely crippled in a wheelchair. And I, I just don't, I've heard a lot of stories, but I have not seen one story yet where someone was damaged as badly as I was and within a year was completely living a normal life. So I know I did something right and I want to inspire people that there is light at the end of the tunnel. I want to give you hope and I want to let you know you have to have the right mindset and a positive attitude. Um, and allow yourself, and you need to believe it every day. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I feel I'm the perfect example for that. And that's really amazing and really inspirational. So um, what are some other things that you could share with people for, for, what, um, for what you did and what they should do and pieces of advice for them? Yeah, you know, a detoxing, detoxification of the liver is very important. Um, because you want to get all the toxins out of your body. You want the liver to, you want to revamp that liver to be able to detoxify now from the fluoroquinolone toxicity. So that's one of the first steps that should be done. In addition, you know, taking the right supplements for, you know, the right antioxidants, you want to treat oxidative stress. That is also very important, um, due to the free radical formation that occurs after taking fluoroquinolones. Um, Supplementing your central nervous system with the right type of support is also extremely important as from my experience, you know, the majority of patients that are, that have a fluoroquinolone reaction. And I want to preface this. In my opinion, every person that takes a fluoroquinolone has a reaction. Now, the issue is it needs to reach a certain point for you to feel a side effect. But every patient who even takes one pill of a fluoroquinolone has damage that occurs in their body. It's equivalent to taking chemotherapy. You will have some mitochondrial damage. Um, so it's very important to help the central nervous system. Now, the majority of patients actually have small fiber neuropathy when they get a biopsy done. And that to me, you know, it's small fiber. So the patients may not have complete symptoms of neuropathy, but they'll still have small fiber neuropathy on muscle biopsy. It's not a coincidence. It's, you know, if you ask a patient that has that, you just got to ask them easy. Have you taken Cipro or Levaquin? I mean, the majority, nine times out of 10, the patient's going to say, well, yes, I did. Right. Yeah, I mean, like you're putting together the pieces. And, and so what have your colleagues said that you've talked to them, that you've talked to about this? Like, do they understand it? Do they dismiss you? Do they think you're, you're kooky? Are they really relieved that you're finally taking this on? What's the reaction? So the traditional, my traditional medicine doctor colleagues, more than half of them don't even believe that this can happen. And thought, oh, you must have Guillain-Barre syndrome. You must have, it was just unbelievable the, the amount of 
the lack of knowledge in this field, it's just, it's unbelievable that, you know, you put your life in the hands of a doctor and this doctor is sitting there telling you, oh, this, the drug is FDA approved. It's impossible for it to cause a side effect. And unfortunately, this is the way doctors think. And and it's really heartbreaking for the patients who are going through it. You know, like we we're we're in a world of pain. We don't know what's going on. We turn to the people who we think are going to help us. And then they say, like, not only can I not help you, I think you're a little bit crazy and I'm not going to acknowledge what you're saying, you know, and that's it's Uh, horrible to hear that. I'll tell you a story. I reached a point where. I had to go to the ER and I knew I shouldn't go to the ER because they're probably going to kill me. They'll give me a steroid. They'll give me something and I'm not going to allow that to happen. But I experienced a severe, severe attack of vertigo and it was unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. So I went to the ER because I knew, okay, I need to get an MRI. This could be vestibular neuritis due to the fluoroquinolone, as there's reported cases on this. It's documented. And the ER doctor there, you know, I I, I let them know I was a physician. And the ER doctor there just thought I was making the whole thing up, wouldn't order an MRI, and was basically telling me, are you trying to get disability or something? And it was just unbelievable. And... um, it's funny because my news video was shown to everyone in that hospital. Um, so everyone there has seen it. And I'm sure, you know, that physician is looking at that, you know, video now and thinking, wow, you know, I, I made a mistake. But if I'm a doctor going into a hospital and, you know, with my own colleagues and being treated that way, I can only imagine how a norm, the normal citizen who's not a doctor will get treated by you know, my colleagues in medicine going in saying they had a reaction to Cipro, Avalox, or Levaquin. So my, my, my heart really, truly goes out to you guys. Yeah, yeah, and you know that you're part of the change. And in speaking out and uh, doing that news piece, I think that that was really valuable. And, you know, the more, the more people hear about it, the more both patients and physicians hear about it, the more they'll start to understand and the more they'll start to put together the pieces and the more they'll start to question, you know, when a patient comes into them with, um, with polyneuropathy, they'll say like, huh, I wonder if this person took Cipro or Levaquin or Avalox, you know, um, like, like they'll just start to put together the pieces, um, you know, for those of us who have these reactions to fluoroquinolones, you know, we put, we put together all the pieces often quite suddenly. Um, but I think for people who are non-floxed, it, uh, it comes a little bit more slowly, but you know, once we're getting the word out, it, it does help them to put together the pieces of the puzzle. So I really appreciate that you did speak out and that you did do that news piece and that it was shown to all of the doctors at that hospital and really everything. You know, Lisa, personally, I had no personal gain of doing the video. You know, it's obviously I'm exposing myself out there to, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, for example, you know, letting the world know that a drug affected me. And as a doctor, um, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of a fine line where you're trained to, you know, when when we, when you take your medical oath, you take an oath to do no harm to your patient. And I truly felt I had to go public with my story because I had thousands of patients reaching out to me for help. And I needed, I, I, I knew 
I'm their voice. Nobody else will listen to them. I have to make this known to the whole world because there are millions affected worldwide. And I just can't let another 20-year-old girl with a UTI go to urgent care, come home with a prescription of Cipro and ibuprofen and end up in a wheelchair and completely you know, ruin the rest of her life and starting a family and having children. It, it's something needed to be done. And, you know, I, I, I stand for what's right in the world. And I, I, I had to go public with my story. Well, it's really appreciated on multiple levels. So, um, yeah, they, just that you, you want to make something out of this horrible experience that happened to you. You know, that's why I started the website Foxy Hope and why I started this blog and, um, you know, why you're focusing your practice where, where you're focusing it is, you know, there's, there's this negative thing that happened, but you're turning it into something really amazing and something productive and something helpful. So I think that that's, that's really wonderful and appreciated. And I want to give you some props for doing that. Well, thank you, Lisa. I also want to mention as well, uh, since we're talking about it, you know, there's 12 million individuals um, diagnosed with either chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia in the United States. Isn't that an overwhelming number, wouldn't you say? It's a lot of people. Okay. And if you look at the data, five, it's, the, the, those diagnoses are in a five-to-one ratio of women to men. I honestly don't think it's a coincidence that Cipro is prescribed in a five to one ratio, women to men, because women get it much more commonly for urinary tract infections. This is not a coincidence. If you truly ask the patients with chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia, if they have ever taken a fluoroquinolone antibiotic, nine times out of 10, in my clinical practice and in my colleagues' practice, which I've been raising awareness on this, the patient will say, yes, I did. And the majority are women. The patients who say no, those are patients that should be tested for Lyme disease, heavy metal toxicity, potential mold exposure. There's something else going on that's leading to mitochondrial damage. Yeah, absolutely. You know, putting together these puzzle pieces. You know, and the more people who put together these puzzle pieces, the more quickly we're going to change the world and hopefully stop these drugs from being prescribed how they're being prescribed because they shouldn't be given to a woman for a routine urinary tract infection. They shouldn't be given to travelers when they're going abroad just in case they get traveler's diarrhea. They shouldn't be given to men who have chronic prostatitis because it's been shown that most most um, episodes of chronic prostatitis aren't even bacterial. You know, like these, these drugs should be the drugs of last resort. Um, or, or at least that's what I think. Like, what, what is your opinion on, you know, uh, should Cipro and Levaquin be taken off the market? Um, what, what do you think the protocol should be? Well, in my, you know, in my medical opinion, you know, I feel safer alternatives should be used first. Um, you know, I, it would be nice if the world would open their eyes to natural routes of uh, antibacterial treatment you know, such as IV ozone, colloidal silver, you know, IV vitamin C, you know, these are all different modalities of treatment that if used appropriately can be highly effective in treating not only bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. 
But you know, if you are seeing a traditional you know medicine doctor who is, who is prescribing antibiotics, um, you know, I'd recommend a much safer alternative at first, um, rather than taking a fluoroquinolone. Now, if a fluoroquinolone absolutely is necessary, which you know, again, if it's necessary, give it. But I, I would highly recommend patients to be aware of the side effects, to be aware of the risk and the benefits, um, and to prevent a reaction from occurring by, you know, studies showing taking high doses of magnesium and vitamin E can, you know, help the, um, can actually assist in preventing the oxidative stress caused by the fluoroquinolone. So, it's really, it's okay, you're going to take this drug, but let me give you a few natural options to take with it so you're less likely to have damage. Do an MTFHR screen, methotetrahydrofolate reductase gene mutation on a patient before they take the drug. Because if they have that gene mutation, they're going to be more susceptible. They are going to be more likely to be damaged from that drug. Now, not every patient with that gene mutation will become flox, but they will more likely have damage. So th- this is how my brain works, and this is how I think of fluoroquinolone toxicity and you know the drug being prescribed. Yeah, I, I think that, that that's a lot of wisdom. So what else would you like to share with the audience? We're we're at about forty five minutes. Um, you know, are there kind of any sort of closing thoughts or words of advice that you definitely want to get into the podcast? Yes. Yeah, so uh, you know, I want to talk about the treatment that threw me over the top and got me better you know, more than anything. And, you know, it's, this is probably the most important one, but I had received a stem cell infusion of my own stem cells from my adipose or my fat tissue. And these stem cells were really within four days of receiving those stem cells. Uh, I was able to contract my calf muscle again, very slowly, but I was for months, I couldn't contract my calf muscle. Even if I tried, it was completely flaccid and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't. I mean, if you see my calf right now, it's it's a rock. My, my, my muscles are complete hard, complete rock. And the stem cell infusion, you know, in, in my opinion, really got me there. And I think that was a big turning point in my healing and recovery. And to see me and, you know, I, I'd be more than happy to share my videos on your website, Lisa, um, to see the way my body looked before and to just see my calves jiggle and, you know, when you touch them to where I am now is a, in my opinion, a true testament to stem cell therapy. That's great. That's really fantastic. So what are the, are there any risks to some, to stem cell therapy? I'm sure there are risks to everything, but, um, what are, what are kind of the basic pros and cons? Well, you know, there's still literature and data being gathered on stem cells, but, you know, reading hundreds of reports um, through PubMed and doing literature searches, the the risk of stem cells are, you know, harvesting of the stem cells, you know, either through, you know, some doctors do it through bone marrow, which, you know, in my opinion, I don't, I advise against, um, just given the high risk of infection, you know, aspirating from the bone marrow. I truly believe that adipose tissue um, based on the studies, provide a larger number, a much larger number of stem cells as well. Um, as, you know, it's done through a mini liposuction procedure, and the stem cells are harvested from your fat. 
and uh, a very specialized process spun down and given back in the body as pure stem cells. Uh, and these stem cells can be given in the joints for patients with arthritis, uh, and then given through an IV infusion where they can work systemically to repair damaged tissues in the body. Cool. That's pretty amazing. Not only do you get fat sucked out, but it gets to heal you too. Absolutely. And I, I really think this is going to revolutionize the medical field um, in terms of patients knowing uh, how to get stem cells. And hopefully it you know, grows and catches on and you know, the you know, FDA will allow you know, stem cells to continue to thrive and you know, really change people's lives. I, I've seen miraculous things happen with stem cell infusions in a multitude of different conditions, not only fluoroquinolone toxicity. Yeah, I've, I've seen some videos of people with MS where it's really transformed them. Absolutely, and, and that's one of the treatments that we do use um, for multiple sclerosis patients. In addition to, you know, full body, a full comprehensive approach to the patient, um, not only healing their gut, detoxifying their liver, getting rid of any heavy metals they may have in their body, you know, taking the amalgam fillings out uh, properly through proper protocols. Um, you know, it, it's really a whole body approach when you have autoimmune disease or fluoroquinolone toxicity for that matter, or even Lyme disease for that matter. Um, all of these diseases are really treated similarly with a few small tweaks. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, heal the mitochondria. It's, it's crucial for autoimmune diseases. It's crucial for, um, for Lyme disease. It's crucial for fibromyalgia and, and chronic fatigue syndrome. And obviously for, uh, fluoroquinolone toxicity as well, you know, healing the mitochondria, healing the gut, um, all of those things that you just mentioned. Yes. Another modality of treatment that I forgot to mention, actually very important that uh, I still use today. It helps me significantly is the use of peptides. Um, you know, peptides really help me recover my muscle strength and get better faster. And, you know, these are naturally occurring substances in the body. So it's not, it's not a steroid. It's not anything like that, but, uh, peptides are just unbelievable. And, um, you know, getting them specially formulated, you know, from a high quality source is in my opinion, a major key in fluoroquinolone toxicity recovery. And anyone with any type of muscle damage um, that needs a boost. So what exactly are peptides? Sorry for my ignorance on this one. Oh, no, it's okay, my dear. Uh, so peptides are naturally occurring substances in the body. Um, they're you know, comprised of different type of amino acids. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, there's different types. So the right types of peptides um, can really help regenerate muscle and tendons, okay. muscle and tendon cells. Okay. And so they're not just like a supplement that you could find over at vitamin cottage. They're like a, like something you have to like get through a compounding pharmacy or. What? Yeah. It, it, these are, I mean, these are specially made. Um, and I'd only recommend getting them through your doctor. Mm -hmm. I don't recommend, you know, going on the black market online and purchasing because you don't know what chemicals are in there. And especially being flocks, you need to make sure everything you put in is pure and preservative free. Um, because sometimes you, your body will react to a preservative and I've, I've seen it happen in floxies where, you know, floxies go and try umbilical stem cells. And to me, it's very dangerous because umbilical stem cells can, are usually preserved in DMSO. 
And DMSO has been shown in, you know, certain cases to cause neurotoxicity. And when your nervous system is already damaged after fluoroquinolones, you are at high risk of DMSO causing a severe reaction in the body. And I've seen it happen to patients. I've had patients call me and kind of tell me this happened. So I highly advise against it. I always use everything all natural, no preservatives. And, you know, if you do decide to perform a stem cell procedure, I would just stick to your own. It's your own body. It's your own cells. And that's what I would go with. And you're not risking any type of reaction occurring to you. Sounds like good advice to me. So is there anything else um, that you'd like to share as we close out? Yeah, you know, I want to share. Stick with the plan. Talk to a doctor who really understands this condition. Patients are more than welcome to reach out to me. Um, you know, I, I do whatever I can to, you know, help whoever I can in any way. And, and how can they reach you? Uh, so they can reach me through my website. Um, currently it's roxburyregenerative.com and they can fill out the contact form there or they can call the office. The office number is 424-394-1610. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. Well, um, like you've said, and like we've noted throughout this, this podcast, um, it is really difficult for people to find doctors who understand this illness and, um, for you to be really specializing in it, in, in it, I think is really wonderful. And it's a huge resource for people. So, um, really appreciate what you're doing. And I appreciate that you are speaking out and that you are, uh, so willing to help people in the Floxy community and know that, um, you know, a lot of people after they recover, they just want to move on with their lives. And the fact that you really want to be giving back to this community, I think is huge. So, um, just want to give you a little bit of a shout out and to thank you for all that you are doing and, um, also appreciate, of course, you being on the podcast. I hope that everyone enjoyed, um, listening to and learning from Dr. Galili and, uh, hope everyone has a wonderful day or evening or whatever it is that, uh, uh, the time that you are listening to this. Have a good one. Bye-bye.